Welcome to New Spring Church. We pray this message has inspired you to live a great life. For more information about our story, go to newspring.org.au. It is. It's, a, it's just been my greatest joy. I say that I wear so many hats right now that um, in life that I often feel like I should be a milliner or something. Because uh, when I think about it, I, work, I lead Foxglove Project, which is my absolute passion. Um, and that is really uh, working with women and girls in the developing world in Cambodia and Rwanda and uh, India. And I really love it. It's all about transformation. Not just giving people enough to get them out of poverty, but actually saying, I just believe in your capacity. I believe in your capacity to do it for yourself. And so we get alongside and do lots of training and equipping and I don't give anyone money because money doesn't work to give people money because people have to change their own lives. And actually, people have to know that someone else believes they can. Because often people, until they see that you believe it, they just don't believe it themselves. And I get to work with the absolute poorest women living in abject poverty on the edge of a village in rural Rwanda, and uh, every time I'm there, I feel like I'm in the place I belong, and how can that possibly be when I've grown up in First World Perth? But I do. And so the, the book is actually just 20 women's stories called 20 Reasons to Believe. 20 reasons that they've believed and 20 reasons why I believe it's actually possible. I also... Uh, Work, I'm also part of a network of women called Kin Women. Does anyone know Kin Women? Okay, so I'm one of the co-founders of Kin Women and we're on uh, 98.5. We have spots on that and we actually do a half-hour radio broadcast every week um, and we encourage women in the first world to also live their finest life. Um, I work for an NGO, so I work in international development as well and I travel probably three or four months of the year around the world uh, monitoring projects and seeing and helping people to do what they're doing better in, in uh, the developing world. I'm also a pastor one day a week. See? My life is crazy, isn't it? I'm just giving you the tip. This is... I'm a, I'm a nutcase. That's it. I am, I am a weirdo. I just real, the recognition has just come all over me. Um, I'm a pastor at West City Church, a church of Christ in Wembley, which is just down the road from where I live. And then in my personal world, I'm a mum to three brilliant boys. Not boys, actually. I want them to be boys. They just keep growing up. Don't know how that happens. So my oldest boy is 20, nearly 28, and in the next month, I'm going to be a grandmother. Oh, my gosh. I'm out of control about that, but it's just I try and keep that one inside so my, my daughter-in-law doesn't get too worried that I'm just going to take over that child's life. Um, I've been married to the same man, just one man. That was enough for me. And uh, that was more than enough. And uh, 35 years this year which is crazy, and, uh, and, and we've known each other for 44 years, so that's a long time. And I'm a mum, I'm a, I'm a daughter, I'm a daughter-in-law, I'm a sister, I'm a friend. Life is full. Life is wonderful. And each year I uh, start off the year, and I don't know if everyone else does, but I do, I'm kind of quite intentional about what's going to come that year. What am I going to do? How am I going to make sure that I'm not the same person today as what I was, you know, six months ago? And I, I really believe in living quite an intentional life. I don't think I've got to map out everything, but I think about what am I going to do with Foxglove? What am I going to do with this work life? What do I want to do with my home life? What do I want to do with my health? Had some health issues over the last few years, and I've just thought, you know what, I've got to get on top of them. 
I go to a physio particular problem I've got, and the other day he said to me, "Is your health? Are you all? Are you okay? How's your you know daily life with it?" And I said, "Actually, I'm I'm pretty good. It's really good." And he goes, "I don't think you need to come back." I said, "Yes, I do, because I'm not satisfied with 85 percent." This year, I said, "When it comes to this health issue, I'm going for 100 percent." Like you've got to be a bit intentional. It's going to cost me a bit more money, but like I want to be doing what I'm doing at 85, and and I'm thinking about the future. I'm not just thinking about surviving. And I really think it's important to live very intentionally. And uh, when it comes to growing our weaknesses, I mean, not, not growing them. I don't think I need to grow them. They're doing a very good job themselves. Growing my strengths and addressing my vulnerabilities, I've just got to be a bit intentional about it. And I think in a culture, that's, that's actually seen as being a positive thing, isn't it? You know, you do a little bit of self-help. Um, I think... Um, in most domains of life, that's absolutely brilliant. In our health, in our work, in our personal development, in our family. How many people here do something at the beginning of the year where they really feel a bit intentional about what they're going to do in the coming year? Hands up. Come on. Okay. And, 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 and perhaps it's been part of our culture in the last 20 years, far more than it was before that. And I, I think there's some real value in it. In fact, I love it because in the third world where I meet these women... They have to be intentional. If they want to live a transformed life, I can tell you if they just keep going on the road they are, all that is waiting for them is poverty and more poverty. So there's a sense of desperation to address these personal issues. They can't just go, oh, well, I'll just have a bit of a go if something comes along, because nothing is going to come along. When you're living on the edge of a village in a little hut, if you're lucky, you've got a hut. Otherwise, you're under a banana tree or in a plantation and you're living amongst the animals and you cannot send your children to school and you cannot feed them more than one meal a day, you have no health insurance and you cannot take them to a doctor if they are very sick or if you are very sick. If you are living like that and then someone says, here's an option, come to a self-help group, get six months of training Save something every week, something tiny, as little as eight cents. And at the end of six months, you're going to have the skills, and more important than that, you're going to have the self-belief to start up your own business. And they, and they look at you, they don't look at me because I'm not Rwandan and I can't go and say these things, but the organisation is all Indigenous that I work with, and they go to their homes and they tell them that story, and the women look at them and say, you're talking to the wrong woman. You don't know who I am. I've got nothing and I am nothing. And then they say, no, no, you're just the woman we want to talk to. Come. And sometimes I've got to go back two and three and four times till those women are prepared to take the chance of coming and feeling humiliated because they're not literate. They're not, no skills and they think, you're just making a mistake when you're coming to me. But the most fantastic thing is they become transformed. <laughs> They become absolutely transformed. I've seen the talk about, the beautiful thing is when I say to the women about what's changed the most after six months, nearly every group I go to, what they say is what's changed is inside of me. I'm different. You couldn't give me money till I became different, till my mindset changed, till my self-belief changed, till my heart changed. Isn't it wonderful? You know, I remember, you know, I hear really big stories in the third world. I hear huge stories of women who come from that to running a business where they're employing people within two and three years. But I think one of the stories that touched me so much was this woman called Celeste 
who sat in a group of 20 women, wanting to tell, they all wanted to tell me their stories and they'd been going to a group for about two years and they put, they're telling me the most incredible stories, putting their hands up and, and she's sitting there really quietly and she's smiling and she's loving it but she's not offering her story. And I said, oh, could I hear from you? And she says, oh, you could see she was reticent. And then she said, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm um, 68 and uh, I'm the oldest member of the group. And she said, when I came, I had absolutely nothing. I have no family. I had no support. I did not have a home and I could struggle to feed myself one meal a day, mainly from begging. She said, so when I came to the group and they were going to teach all the training, she says, I was so hopeful that someone would start a business that I could join. But everyone in the group decided to start a small family business. She said, and I thought, what am I going to do? But she said, I did believe I had something in me. I knew some stuff now. And she said, I just, drew, I just dreamed a little idea. So I took out my first loan for 1,500 Wandon francs, which is about $1.50. And she said, I took out my first loan. And she said, and I walked down to the farm down the road to the field. And I bought off the grower four avocados. Four. She says, and I took them to the market. And I lay down my scarf and I put them on the scarf. And she said, and within a few minutes, 15 minutes, the four avocados had been bought. Oh, she bought, she bought 1,000 francs was her first loan. And she says, and I, I, someone bought them for 1,500 Rwandan francs. She says, I made 500 Rwandan francs in one day, which is about a dollar. And she said, and that was the day I believed. You know, all she does every day, she says, I can't, I'm too old to work in the fields and I'm not strong enough to look after animals. But every day I get up and I walk to that grower and I buy four avocados and I walk to the market and I sell them and I go home to rest. She says, now I have a home. Now I can feed myself. Now I've got private health insurance. Now I have friends. Is that transformation? Yeah. Beautiful. You know, I, uh, I love that. But I've uh, got this one thought. When it comes to our external world of economics and self-improvement and our health and even our, some of our you know, work skills, we are in charge. We've got to plan. We've got to be intentional about it. And we need to actually get, do, get off our backside sometimes, don't we? I have to give them a get off mine and say, I'm going to follow through on this health and I'm going to get myself well. Trouble is that uh, sometimes we try to bring that into our spiritual world. When it comes to spiritual transformation, guess what? You're not in charge. I'm not in charge. When it comes to spiritual formation, we start to get into this thing where, okay, I'm going to set these plans of exactly who I'm going to become. And I am going to every morning get up and I am going to do these 10 things. And this, today I'm going to practice these steps and I'm going to read these things to myself. And, and I'm not opposed at all to being proactive. But we feel that we're in charge. That we're in charge of all our own spiritual growth. And we're going to make it happen. And I don't know where you are, God, but don't even worry about it because I've got it handled. Does anyone else get a bit like that? Own up. Own up. We're all like that a bit, aren't we? We think we can grow our own spirituality and I can completely change the inner me, the heart me. No, I can't. We get about behaviour modification. We get about changing this external thing and what's happening in our heart can be something so very different. 
I can get up here and smile at you and I can deliver a great message and then I walk away and in a six months' time you hear, gosh, have you heard what's happening in her life? And there's a realisation, maybe the heart wasn't kind of living out what the exterior was showing. You know, God is not about behaviour modification. He is not about it. He is about transforming us from the inside out. He's about saying, you are to become different. I mean, if we know Colossians, it says, do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. It's being renewed. You're being changed from the inside. I love Ephesians 4. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the status of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're, that's what we're aiming to become like. I mean, I love that saying, be who, be who you will be, but be like Christ. Be who you will be. We're all different. No one's here trying to put you into a little box and say that's who you are. We're all weirdos. You might be refusing to accept your own weirdoism, but I bet I could come and find it. It's there. It's lurking. You just don't know about it yet. My kids, my kids could definitely attest to it. I do the whole voice thing. I don't know why I'm admitting, admitting this, but I do this whole... Does anyone else do the funny voices thing? I, I don't even know what goes on in me, but I, maybe I just like my voice to make, remain humble. And so I had these little dances I do around the bedrooms and little vo- faces I make them and little voices I put on. They're like, Mum, Mum, you're a weirdo. Please stop it. I'm like, boys, there's plenty more where that came from. And when their poor girlfriends come over and I start doing it in front of the girlfriends, my sons are trying to give me that look like, stop please stop. I'm like, no, I'm not stopping. I want them to know what they're in for. Yeah, you know, we're all supposed to be like just ourselves. But on the inside, in the heart, may we be like Christ. And you can't do that. Think about the metaphors that are used for God and us. It's the potter and the clay. Isn't it? And who, who forms the end product? The potter. The clay doesn't leap onto the wheel and have an idea of how it's going to spin itself. That's what we're all like. The whole idea is that the, the, the potter picks it up and throws the clay on and starts to mould it. It's the shepherd and the sheep. And the shepherd says, this is the way we go. No, no, get back into line, sheep, because this is the way we're going. And the sheep know his voice and they follow. You want spiritual transformation? We've got to tap into him. That's what we've got to do, be more like him. So if you're going to be more like him, what's something you've got to know before you're going to be more like him? You've got to know what he is like, don't you? You know, in a minute I'm going to call my panel up to chat, but I'm going to have a talk about what he's like. But, you know, you've got to learn to identify the whisper of God. You've got to know his character and you've got to know his ways. You do. You know, um, you know we, we learn them through Scripture because it says that's a lamp to our feet. We learn them through the whisper of God into our own voices. We learn them from circumstances. We learn them from people saying things. We're always needing to learn what he's like because, you know, he's always in the business of, of trying to teach you. He is. He's not God afar off. He's like right here trying to say, this is what I'm like. 
you know, um, I've got three boys, and I remember when my oldest boy was a little, little tacker, and we used to go to the local swimming pool, public pool, and you know what he, you know what kids like to do. You know, there's the lane ropes, and they like they like to dive and jump onto the lane ropes and stand on the lane ropes. And there's always someone in the office yelling out, "Get the kids off the lane ropes!" You know, you know what I mean. And I know my kids are always on the lane ropes. You know, and I'm sitting there watching them. I'm trying to I'm trying to catch their eye. And what are your kids doing when you're trying to catch their eye? They're making sure they're not looking in your direction. They are looking like I have no idea where she is and they're diving underwards. And every time you think you've got their eye, they just turn the other way because they know you're trying to see them, don't they? And then I remember this one time with Ty and I'm trying to give him the eye and he's ignoring it. I just thought, I'm going to keep tracking him because one, he's going to make a mistake. They all do. So you just can't, you just keep, keep, keep going because at one point then he went, oh, I got you. He can't move away then because he knows mum's seen him. So he's looking at me like, there's nothing wrong. I'm looking at him like, yes, there is. He's looking at me like, I don't have to do anything. I'm saying, yes, you do. No words are spoken. I give him the old, come here. He looks at the whole, no, no, yes, yes. He comes towards me. And, you know, as I was laughing about it later on, I have felt this sense of God whisper inside of me. That's what you're like, Kelly. You're ducking and diving under the lane ropes and I'm trying to catch your eye because I'm trying to tell you what you need to hear because I've got great things for you. You can so easily miss his whisper, but the truth is we're going to learn what he's like. And panel, when you come up now, we're just going to have a quick chat about what these guys have discovered, what God's like. So come on up, my team, and let's um, do that. So I've got Alistair and I've got Colin and I've got Lisa. So how's that sound? We're just going to have a seven, eight minute chat here. And uh, can you three hurry up, please? (laughs) Wandering up like brown's cows. Come on. Uh, Okay. So so here we go. We're not doing that. Uh, So look, Colin, let me ask you. First question is, what have you learned about God in the last year? What have, what have you learned about God in the last year, Colin? Um, what I've learned about God in the last year. Just to start off with, I, I just, uh, as you can t- tell by my appearance, as I have been gracing this world for a few years. In the beginning... Um... No, no, Colin. <laughs> We're not going to the beginning. It's We're going to the last very, year, I, one minute. It'll be very quick. It'll be 30 okay. seconds. Okay. I used to pray and I never got an answer. So I thought, what the hell's going on? This is not working. But then I learned that if you have faith and you pray, the answer might not be in your time, it'll be in God's time. So once I worked that out, prayers then became so part of my life yeah. uh, every day and the answers I get are so rewarding. Uh, now I'm, I am a 1,000% believer in prayer. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. Wow. That's a great... So, and, and the interesting thing is that you probably have heard that all your life. True. So if I said that to all of you, you'd all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the next thing. Are we actually living like that's true? What have you learned in the last 12 months? Um, so m- m- my biggest one is actually very similar in that it's something that I knew and I've probably told people millions of times. That's what, that's what yeah. fi- finding out God's like is all about. Absolutely. It's not that you don't know it in intellectual yeah. terms, it's just that it's never become real. Dropping down, absolutely. Um, so 
it was very foundational. It was basically learning that God being a part of your life and in your days huh. is incredibly rewarding, but he's not a vending machine. So I kind of like I knew that, but I had to I learned that bringing God into my um, into my everyday stuff will have an amazing impact and it's awesome and it and it builds me up. But it it's not kind of like cool. I prayed for five minutes and now yeah, my day done. is perfect. Fantastic. So I had to kind of learn on the ground that yeah. Fantastic, it's Lisa. Not what about you? What have you learned in the last twelve months? So it'll sound like we've all had a cheat, but um, what I've learned is that. God is always with me. So mm. even in the times when it feels like he's not with me, uh, when I feel alone, when I'm struggling, he's always there. He's right there. So I've learnt that. Um, and I've also learnt that he, he's always listening. He hears my prayers and he answers my prayers. And so... Um, how, did you, how have you learned that? How, how has it come to you in that last year? It's just living it out. It's just... Um, just seeing the prayers answered, seeing miracles, just from the smallest thing, the most insignificant, insignificant thing that um, doesn't really mean much, but it's the small things to the big things. Um, and it's just, it's just, it just amazes me. I'm in awe. Well, what, what's, what's something that you said that's happened recently that you, oh, well, in the last year, that you would say, that was a real trigger for me to realise that he cares about the small things in life? Yeah, okay. So one major thing, uh, which Donna knows about, um, one day I was working here um, and I think any mum would know picking the kids up after school and stopping at the shops <laughs> is a nightmare. So I said to God, God, I just need pineapple today. I just need pineapple. <laughs> pineapple and salami would be good. Pineapple? For what? For, what you for pizza. For, for pizza, making pizzas. Okay. So this is a pretty reasonable request. <laughs> Monday night is, is pizza night. So anyway, we get our load in because uh, we do hampers through the week. Um, we get there's a whole huge load that comes in and and I'm you know we're getting through the load and I'm thinking oh there's no pineapple <laughs> I'm gonna stop at the shop this is really bad because you can't have pizza without pineapple yeah, so anyway so <laughs> <laughs> so I I sort of finish up what I'm doing and I sort of move out because I'm getting ready to go to pick up the kids and then I hear this big cheer inside the auditorium and there's pineapple the bottom <laughs> the very last box. Yeah. They come to on the bottom of the load. There's about six tins of pineapple. Now we never get pineapple. So like he just he just he's in the little things. I know. He knows it's what little, I need. It's not always this big major things. It's fantastic. So what about there you? are big things um, like seeing you know obviously him move when we pray for people to be healed and and that's just amazing too. It's fantastic. How did you learn it? Um, <laughs> it was kind of finally doing the stuff that you know you should have been doing since you were 12 so um uh giving god like a tiny bit of my time every day or not quite every day i started a read the bible in one year bible plan oh. and finished it in two years and three months so that's like nearly 50 percent. so i'm gonna claim that um but like it was because I'd, I'd spent a lot of years kind of hiding from that commitment and not really giving god almost anything of my day to day and I had this experience of knowing that when I did actually give him that time and I did actually read the Bible 50% of the time, um, he did come into my life and he did do amazing things. But like you were saying when you started, I'd had this picture of like, I'm going to start reading my Bible and then I will be perfect because that is the only thing that I was missing. And then I like read my Bible and then I would go to work and then I would mess up. And I'm like, what do you, but I read the Bible. Why do, it's not perfect. So it was just kind of on the ground experiencing that like taste and see that the Lord is good. What about you, Colin? What was it for you? Um, 
I'd like to tell you a, a story about... Uh, not a very long story, Kelly. <laughs> um, but I, I have to tell you this story because this is the love of Christ working in overdrive. Um, on a Monday morning, Sue got up and she went to the toilet and she was bleeding bright red blood. So we rang the doctor straight away, we prayed, and Sue went to the doctor. The doctor spoke to her, sent her straight down for a uh, CAT scan. That was done straight away. They fitted her straight in. They sent her straight back to the doctor with a bit of paper saying what was wrong with the doctor. The doctor rang me straight away so that Sue would come home and there'd be nobody... I would be home and there'd be somebody here. And she just said straight away to me, Sue's got cancer. So I was home when Sue came home. And so we had to go and see a specialist. So straight away, uh, we rang a specialist who we knew, and he was a Christian. He saw us the next day. We, sh- we spoke to him. He had a look at the, uh, the uh, photos and everything else like that. And he said, I will speak to the uh, top people in Royal Perth, and we'll get Sue in straight away. But he must have had second thought, because that afternoon he rang Royal Perth. The next morning, Royal Perth rang... Uh, Sue, she was in there Thursday morning and had a biopsy done on her kidney where the uh, cancer was about that big on her kidney. And they said, yes, it's uh, done nothing inside the kidney, it must be on the outside. So by this time, the whole church had got behind Sue and they were praying and every morning I was holding Sue and we were praying. And then in a month later, um, Sue went back to, to hospitals to have a biopsy done on the outside of her kidney where the lesion of the cancer was. They uh, put dye into Sue, did it, couldn't find it. They went and had a big pow-pow. They hadn't told Sue they couldn't find it. They went back, re-dyed her, turned her over a few times, <laughs> still couldn't find it. So they went out, had another conversation, and they didn't know what was going on. Got the paper to say that too. Yeah. But in the meantime, the whole church had got behind Sue, and a lot of our friends were praying for Sue, and there was a time before she went for the second biopsy that I was holding Sue in my arms every morning and praying for her that I got this beautiful feeling of tingling in my body and peace just flowed over me. And I knew everything was right. When I spoke to other people afterwards who were also praying for Sue, they had exactly the same feeling. And it was nearly all about the same time. So within a month, Sue had cancer, no cancer. So... Awesome. Well, I reckon when uh, you have an experience, that can really uh, make that inner change, doesn't it? Like, you can't make that happen. But Because I think one of the impacts that starts to happen is, when you spoke about it, I think, a bit at the beginning, said it, what impact it had on you is you started to be expectant mm. to believe that God could do something, yeah? yeah more expectant yeah. than you were before? Yeah, absolutely. I think also more trusting, because, like, I knew that if I gave God things, that he would treat them right and that he would... Uh, you know, be yeah. an awesome part of my life, but I hadn't tried it yet. So yeah. it was kind of like trying it and being like, yeah, actually, yeah, the this affirmation. Is good. Yeah. Maybe, maybe finally, it's just Lisa, let's just ask you, how do you hold on to that? Like, you can hear these things, you can have them experience them, how do you hold on to them in the future? It's, it's just about being brave enough to step out, to step out and to brave those, uh, pray those extravagant prayers, um, but also teaching my children. Um, how to do that too because, you know, I want them to pray crazy prayers and expect it. So um, usually there's, there's a hill that we go up on the way to school. That's, our, that's my hill to remember um, to pray to God, you know, just to remember him every day and get my boys to think of him every day. So we pray up the hill um, and we just keep him, 
you know, in our minds Remembering. as much as we can. Fantastic. Hasn't that been great? You guys, thank you. You know, a couple of things came out of that that I wanted to say, and, and one of them was that not only are we supposed to know him, we've actually got to recognise that he's, in, he's leading, and you and I are the following, aren't we? Uh, there's a scripture where they have the message version, Matthew 16, which I love. It says, Then Jesus went to work on his disciples, and he says to his disciples, Anyone who intends to come with me, maybe that's most of us, has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your whole soul for? You know, not only do you have to know him, we've got to let him lead. We've got to let him lead. When it comes to spiritual matters, you can't use self-help. When it comes to spiritual matters, you need this supernatural God to intersect your world. And then you allow him to change you. You know, the metaphor we have in, in church as well is this idea that he is the vine and we are the branches. Yeah? Like the branches can't make fruit grow. It comes, the, the, it comes from the actual vine, doesn't it? Which is him. And on the fruit, on the, it talks about these fruits of the Spirit. And you think about fruits of the Spirit, you can't make yourself be patient. I'm going to make myself, I'm going to be patient. I am going to be, I'm useless at this, which is why I'm probably saying, God, are you at work in me? But, uh, you know, it's like he's got to be wor at work in us. I was, uh, my youngest son in the last, about a month ago, broke his arm. And uh, when he broke his arm, don't worry, like any good mother, I refused to accept that he'd broken his arm. I thought he was just pretending. So he came home one night. I broke my arm. I said, no, you haven't broken your arm. Don't be ridiculous. I said, mum, it's really sore. I said, well, a sore arm does not equal a broken arm. I'll strap it up and give you a discipline and go to bed. So he goes to bed. He gets up in the morning. Mum, it's really sore. I hope it's, we would not send this anywhere because there might be some repercussions on me. I said, <laughs> I said, uh, Go to bed and don't be ridiculous. He gets up, he start, had a new job starting the next day, and he's like, gets up, mum, it's sore. I said, don't be silly. Go to work, I'll give you another discipline. So he goes to work, comes home, mum, it's really sore. I'm like, okay, that's it. Take him to the hospital, and he had a broken arm. So there you go. <laughs> Lucky for him. And uh, anyway, so, but while we're at this, we're in, having the, in the hospital, he's having his x-ray. I get back to the car afterwards, park in the car, and I've got a parking ticket. On the, on the screen, and like, you know how you want to kind of quietly get it off so no one else can see it? You, you find yourself doing that, don't you? Like, go past your windscreen, snatch it, <laughs> get in the car, 160 bucks, $160 for my parking ticket for, you know, near Royal Perth. And um, the funniest thing is, the absolute hilarious thing is, I saw the ticket, got in the car, and you know what came into me? I thought, oh gosh, that was a cheap trip. That was a cheap x-ray, consultation, treatment. Gosh, I live in a fantastic country. I could, I, my son was looking at me waiting for the eruption, you know, from his lunatic mother. He's looking over and I'm like, well, that's cheap, darling. Look what we got. He's thinking, where has she gone? What have they done with my mother? But you know what it was? I just sat there and I just thought, God, you know what it is. It's you at work in me. I, I wasn't working at this. But what I do every day when I wake up is I say, yes, to you, God. I wake up, I open my eyes and I say, God, what you want to work on in me is fine. I say yes to you. 
do your best in me. Put your fingers on the things that you want to change. I'm going to hear your voice. We've got to live like he's changing us. And you know, the, I just have a couple of thoughts of how you do that. Because I think in many respects, all of us long to do that, don't we? Don't you want to be more like him? Don't you get really disappointed with yourself? When you yell at someone on the car, you know, when you're driving in your car and someone comes in, you give them a bit of abuse, and then you think, I hope they're not going to the same church as me. <laughs> I often think about that sometimes when I'm a minister, that someone's going to go, oh, my Lord, that's the woman who, you know, abused me at the shopping centre the other day. <laughs> not that I ever do that, of course. But, you know, the truth is, is that you need to be being different to what you were. I, I, you know, I'm not even going to say a couple of things I've done in my past. I'm sure the person... T- no, I'm not Philip, so don't ask... <laughs> But, you know, I think to myself, if you want to live like this, you've got to do a couple of things. One thing is you've got to surrender. You've got to surrender. When it comes to your spiritual life, you've got to say, I give up on changing myself. I give up. I want to have a posture of kneeling, but with my hands up expecting that you're going to do something in me. Like, I'm not just kneeling like I'm a little pathetic nothing. I'm this expected person who wants to be living like you can do something amazing in me. You actually can. I really, really want you to, God. I went to uh, Thailand one time. I was up on the Thailand-Burmese border, right up, and I, I was um, meeting this... I went to meet a pastor. I wasn't meeting a pastor. Actually, I was seeing lots of development work, but I happened to meet a pastor who was doing some development work, and his name was Pastor Jolly. It's a good little name, isn't it? Pastor Jolly. Pastor Jolly is up there and he was jolly, very. So anyway, he was up there and uh, he had done this fantastic work. He had built um, like a Bible college. He had built a public school. He had built um, a children's home. He had built a huge outdoor auditorium where he was... And he's this really quiet Burmese man. And I'm looking around thinking it's incredible what he's done. And I said to him, what are you building next? Come on. I was ready. Let's build something else. So he looks at me and he says, I don't know. I thought, I don't know? Come on, mate. You can do better than that. I said, of course you know. What are you doing next? He goes, no, no, I'm not doing anything. I'm gathering wood. I said, you're gathering wood. I, me, human me just thought, how ridiculous. And he showed me this huge warehouse where he was drying wood. And he said, I'm gathering wood with a full expectation that when the time is right, I'm going to build something. <laughs> and you know what dropped into me? Gather wood, Kelly. Don't be so keen to take action. Just keep gathering wood. Keep building stuff. Keep building stuff internally so that the time is right. You've got the stuff in you to do it. But you know what? It takes humility to just gather wood. It takes surrender to gather wood when all we want to do is to be seen for being action men and women. I love the fact that I can become a wood gatherer and that's more than enough for him. Surrender. But the second thing I reckon you've got to, we've all got to do is we've got to, what's called sila. And sila is this idea of, we think of it often as rest, don't we? You've heard the word rest, you know, that's sila. But you know what? Sila is a bit more active than rest. 
it comes often at the end of um, stanzas in the Psalms. And it's, it says this. It says, stop, think, weigh up, sift and weigh. In other words, don't just hear information. Think about it. You're not here to hear me deliver something for you to do. You're here to catch a word from God that you sift and weigh, comparing it to what you know about him and saying, you're going to do that in me, God. I reckon you're going to do that in me. This idea of sifting and weighing is something we all want to move on from and act like all we need to do is hear information and we need to take action. But we don't. We take it in. We sift and weigh. We gather wood. We gather wood. And all the time he's at work in us, transforming our heart, transforming us inside out. And then I kind of had this thought that after we've done all that, you know, you want to have faith to believe that it's God doing stuff in you? Then remember what he's already done. <laughs> remember what he's already done. I love that, Lisa, when you said it. You know, you drive up the hill and she's got a little, a little process to say, I don't want to forget what he's done for me in the last year. And it just becomes something I push to the side and wait for the next crisis. When next crisis happens, oh, gosh, what's he done in the past? Oh, look, I'm, uh, you know. The best indicator of future behaviour is what? Past behaviour. You don't know that God's going to do in the future? Look what he's done in the past. We live life looking forwards, but we understand life looking backwards. That's a kind of a, a, a version of what Serene Kierkegaard said. We live life looking forward, but we understand it looking backward. Look back. Build an altar. Remember what he's done for you. Remember what he's done. He's going to do it again and again and again and again. I'm so, so grateful for God in my life. I've been followed him for 58 years now, nearly 58. Getting older, aren't I? Wow, how did that happen? He is so good to me. He is so good. You know, um, at the end of the year, since... Uh, when you, when you think about yourself as a, a younger person, let me just reflect on this a bit. A younger Christian, whether you became a Christian in your 30s or 20s or childhood or the last six months, if you think back to things he's done in your life, it's just the most incredible encouragement for the future. I think people often just don't recognise how valuable it is. When I was a really little girl, I was about eight, and often they don't think, everyone doesn't think about little kids getting a glimpse of God. You know, you've got children and you think, oh, nah, let's wait till they get bigger. I was a girl and I was in eight years old. I was sitting in a Bible in like a Sunday school class. And they taught a Sunday school class about, you know, the one where Solomon is, um, the two women come to him with the one baby. And the story goes that there was two women each had a child. And overnight in the tent, one of the babies died. And the other woman took that baby and uh, took the baby that was alive and took it closer to her and put her dead baby next to another woman. And when the morning when they woke up, the one woman thought her baby was dead and she was weeping. But as she looked at her baby, she thought, it's not my baby. So they took the one surviving baby to Solomon and they say to Solomon, Solomon, we both say it's our baby. What are you going to do? And of course, they told back these, in those days, everyone just told you these stories. These days, everyone would be worried about telling it. But uh, Solomon said, I know what I'll do. I'll just cut the baby in half and give half to you and half to you. And... Uh, I, 
I heard that story. My like, gosh, you know, what's happening in church? But uh, then the woman who, who was the real mum, she said, oh, no, don't do that. Just let her have the baby. And Solomon said, you're the mother, because no mother would let her child come to harm. And, I, and, he, and then it said, you know, and that's the wisdom of Solomon. I heard that story. I honestly could feel like I'm hearing it today. I cried my, I cried tears. I sat in that room, I sobbed. And I went home that afternoon and that evening and I had a little brother who was only about a year old. And I took him in my arms and I went to the lounge room, which was like we had a formal lounge. And uh, I sat in, we had chairs that used to spin around. I love those chairs. But anyway, I sat in those chairs and I reckon I prayed for an hour, an hour and a half. I don't know how long I was there. And I prayed over him that God would protect him all the days of his life. And I prayed to God that he would give me the wisdom to be able to do things that would encourage people and love people. And I said to God, everything else, every other gift comes second. You know, I was only eight years old, nine years old. But when God does something in you, it's there forever. I still have that memory now, and it's 50 years ago. Transformation, when it's God, is not about behaviour modification. It's about being changed forever. He does something in us. But we need to remember, you know, at the end of every year, I do something else every year. I sit, ever since my boys were little, I've sat down and I've recorded their stories on little cards that I've kept in a little filing box... I, t I keep all the stories about what my boys, what happened to them that year. The funny things they said, the difficult things that happened for them. And I'm keeping this little record of what they were like. It helped me to get an idea of their character. It helped me to get an idea of their idiosyncrasies. You know, my, uh, it helped me to kind of track the changes in them too. And I kept those memories close and they taught me a lot. You know, my boys love them too. In fact, now these grown men still say, can we get out the box? How hilarious. Can we get out the box? Can you tell me about myself when I was five and I get out the box and I tell them the story about what they said that year and they laugh and they cry because it's building something into them as well, isn't it? I think we could all use a God box of sorts. A way to capture God's actions and his whispers and his revelations for the year that's been for you and me. It's a way to remember him and a way to remember that you and I are never alone. God is close. We are not self-actualizing when it comes to the spirit. We're being transformed by the one who made us. We're not to be spiritual babies. We are active participants in a spiritual call to grow up. We are dependent on him and he is leading, but we're becoming more and more like him, aren't we? You know, I pray for New Spring Church. When I pray for New Spring Church, I pray for the people sitting here because that's who you are. You make this place. It is empty without you. And I pray that it's going to be a year of opportunity and growth I pray that you look Christ full in the face, not once a year when you get to crises, but every day if you roll out of bed. May you look up and say, today 
I know you're at work in me. And I say yes. I say yes. May we be willing to follow and surrender. And may we depend more and more on him and discover his way for our lives. Absolutely. Because you know what? Then we're going to be living. Truly living like nothing can hold us back. And that's the way life's supposed to be. That's the way life's supposed to be. May you never be the same. May you walk out of this place and heard a whisper from God that you say, I hear you. I hear you. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to sift and weigh it. I'm going to surrender to it and I'm going to remember it. And I'm going to carry it forward because I want to be all that I can be, but I'm going to be like you. In Jesus' wonderful name, the only one who can accomplish this in our lives through his spirit, which works miraculously, which I don't even vaguely get, but I know it's true. He's come to us. And we get to say yes. Amen. Why don't you just close your eyes? We just close our eyes, God. We just want to be distracted. Nothing vaguely spiritual in it. It's just a chance to just shut everything else out. And just pause for a minute to hear your whisper inside of us.